And now we're going to read from the Bible, from Acts chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed, along with some other believers, to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. The church sent them on their way, and as they travelled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This news made all the believers very glad. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders, to whom they reported everything God had done through them. Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, The Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. When they finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this, as it is written, After this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. Thank you, Jane. Jane's back up this afternoon giving a talk to the ladies. So, yeah, please pray for Jane. Uh, Hi, everyone. Great to see you all. Um, I want to show you a photo of our block of land with a new billboard up there. How good is that? 
Uh, not really yet, but uh, it's been commissioned. So in the, next, in the next week, that's what you'll see. So drive past there. And, and God willing, with our new fence, uh, it won't be graffitied uh, as, as easily. Uh, and um, we're meeting with three possible building companies this Wednesday this week uh, to talk with them about uh, their methodology and you know, philosophy and uh, prices and try to negotiate the best building company at the best price that we can afford. Uh, so we'll keep you updated in coming weeks. But I want you to notice the sign. It says, all welcome. Uh, now, I want to ask, is that true? Uh, is everyone welcome uh, at the Lakes Church. So I want to give you a few scenarios. See, so what if this lady uh, walks into tr- church dressed like this? Uh, welcome. And, and, and we might know her backstory. She's a prostitute from Pretty Woman. So we go, oh, here's a lady with a, with a past. Uh, is she welcome? So next one. Uh, so here's a family. You can't really tell what religious background they have, but they're probably Muslims. So do we say they're welcome? Uh, to come into our church community. And what about this guy? Now, most of you don't know this guy, uh, but I have a personal issue with this guy, apparently. Uh, he's one of the guys that's a victim of the Royal Commission. Uh, the CEO of AMP, who, was, uh, who resigned because of lies and uh, ripping customers off. And I'm a customer of AMP because my superannuation was with AMP, so I'm one of his victims. So would he be welcome uh, in our church? <laughs> okay, okay. What about this guy? Uh, he looks like a happy guy, but you can see there he's holding the Book of Mormon and he's Elder Cunningham. So I want you to have a quick word to the person next to you. Um, all welcome. Is that true? Do we welcome everyone and on what basis? So have a quick word to the person next to you. What do you think? As you might imagine, I'm going to come back to that at the end. Um, but I asked those, so I'll come back to that and we'll wrestle it through. But I ask those questions because they're the sort of questions that come up in Acts chapter 15. Um, and they really rattled the early Christians. This was the, 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 uh, the focus of a whole church council where all the elders and the leaders of the early church got together to wrestle it through. See, it's one thing for a Jewish, you know, law-abiding person to be saved by faith in Jesus, you know, because there's a little bit of a moral background there. Uh, it's kind of a natural transition. You know, they've had the, the promises of the Old Testament and so on. But what about a complete outsider who has lived a sexually immoral life, a pagan lifestyle, worshipping false gods. Uh, What do they need to do to be saved? See, up until Acts chapter 12, um, Christianity had been largely a Jewish religion centred on Jerusalem to begin with. Uh, So there's Jerusalem down the bottom. Jesus was a Jew. His followers were Jews. um, And the early church met in the temple courts in the city of Jerusalem. Uh, So they were just like another little group within early Jewish religion. 
But then, then this movement of Christianity spread to Samaria and then to the ends of Israel. And it's not until Paul and Barnabas and their ministry in Antioch where it actually the floodgates open and you see non-Jews becoming Christians in great numbers, turning to the Lord Jesus. And so the gospel penetrates deep into Gentile territory in chapters 13 and 14. But all of this raises the question. So it's one thing for a Jew to be saved. We'd, we'd, they'd worked that out already. But what about the complete outsider, the sexually immoral person who's lived a pagan, idolatry-worshipping lifestyle? Now, that is the issue of Acts chapter 15. And have a look at verse 1. So you need your Bible open. That would be a great help. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch, or, or on the map it's, it's heading up. Uh, and they said, and, and they were teaching, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. So the, faith in Jesus, yes, but you've also got to be circumcised. Now, how do Paul and Barnabas react? Well, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. This is an issue over which Paul and Barnabas are prepared to stand their ground and to fight. Now, I just want to point out, sometimes Christians get caught up in some pretty unnecessary debates and arguments. I don't know if you've ever seen that, uh, but if you've been a Christian for a while, you might have seen sort of petty squabbles amongst Christians. Now, they are unfortunate, they are divisive, and we ought to not, we ought not to go down that track. But some things are so important that they demand we wrestle and debate with them, and we are willing to stand our ground and not back down. Uh, so that's, that's this sort of issue. So what does Paul do? You tell me, what does Paul do? What's the, what's the response? This, this, these reports are coming from Jerusalem that the Gentiles have to be circumcised. What's his response? What's it? challenges it and then goes to Jerusalem. Yeah, he does go to Jerusalem, but first he does something else. Yeah, he writes a letter to the, to, the, to the Galatian Christians. So see all those cities that they've been to. That's what's known as Galatia. Uh, and in 48 AD, Paul wrote a letter to the Galatian Christians immediately before he headed down to Jerusalem. So I just want to fill in that sort of backstory for us a little bit. Um, so Paul had just been there. He was aware that the same sort of people <coughs> who were demanding circumcision in Antioch were also demanding circumcision amongst the Galatian churches. And many of the Galatian Christians were being led astray. Uh, so he's aware of this challenge that's amongst the Gentile Christians in Galatia. And so he writes this letter... In 48 AD, this is the first book written in the New Testament, and it was written in response to this very issue. So Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, I've printed some verses in your outline there. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ, and you are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be eternally condemned. 
See, for Paul, there is a lot at stake. This is a heaven and hell issue. This is an issue which could lead people away from salvation uh, towards the judgment of God. And so Paul says, if someone distorts the gospel of grace, let them come under God's curse. Galatians 2.21 I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So if someone says you must obey the law of Moses as well as trusting Jesus, then they're denying the work of Jesus in fulfilling the law on our behalf. Galatians chapter 3, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Did you receive the spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard, by believing the gospel? Are you so foolish? See, when Paul left Galatia, the Galatians were fully fledged, complete citizens of God's people. They were fully Christians, children of God, lacking nothing. Now they have come to believe that they also must obey the law. And so Paul says, mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Any man who, de- who lets himself be circumcised, he is ob- obligated to obey the whole law. So I want to run through some gospel maths with you. Gospel maths. Uh, and here it is. This is, the, this is the key formula you need to remember. Faith in Jesus equals salvation. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus and and the way he has fulfilled the requirements of God on your behalf. He's died in your place. He's shed blood on your behalf for your forgiveness. Trust in Jesus and you are saved. Uh, And we sing about this, don't we? Jesus paid it all. Amazing grace. Um, Salvation is a gift. It is not something we earn. So there's the first gospel maths formula. Here's another one. Faith in Jesus plus circumcision equals what? Equals nothing. Thank you, Bob Taylor. Right? Equals nothing. Um, Because once you add circumcision as a requirement of salvation, you're actually saying, I'm somehow obligated to obey the commands of the law. You're trusting in your own ability to keep the law. And it will lead you away from salvation, back under the judgment of God. You cannot be acceptable to God by obedience to the law. In fact, faith in Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Once you try to add to the work of Christ, you actually take away from what Jesus has done, completely fulfilling the requirements of the law in your place. I remember um, this issue came up when I was at uni. I had a friend Uh, We were young uni students trying to work out, you know, our faith in Jesus ourselves. And he was, uh, he he had been a really slack Christian during his high school years. Uh, And then he came into uni and he came in touch with this group called the Sydney Church of Christ. Uh, And he was a really nice guy. He believed everything I believed in. He believed Jesus is God. Jesus died for our sin. We are saved by faith in him. But he believed that lots of Christians have been, had been sold a false gospel of easy believism. Um, he said lots of people call themselves Christians, but they don't take it seriously. Now, there's a truth to that, isn't there? So you can see it's, there's an attractiveness to this idea that he was coming up with. It, there's a persuasiveness to it. He said Jesus commanded us, 
repent and be baptized. So that's what you've got to do. Therefore, if you haven't been baptized, you cannot be saved. Uh, and then you started to realize, oh, he'd, he'd opened up, it was like the thin edge of the wedge because then he'd say, if you haven't been baptized by our church, you can't be saved. And if you haven't been baptized and then come to our meetings and, and you actually start to realize that they've opened the door to a whole lot of rules that become a requirement on top of faith in Jesus for salvation. And it is the same issue over which Paul was fighting in a, in a modern form. So here it is, faith in Jesus plus baptism. And that is, faith in Jesus plus the requirement that you are baptised equals nothing. Now, I just want to clarify, baptism is a wonderful celebration, right? Love it. But what baptism is, is it's, it's a confirmation of what God has already done. Baptism is not what saves you. Baptism is the public declaration the public sort of statement that God has done a work in my heart he has washed me clean on the inside and the water baptism symbolizes what God has already done water baptism doesn't save you but it's a great thing it's a great time of celebration so I want to encourage you to get water baptized if you haven't but not as a requirement for your salvation really want to be clear on that As soon as someone says, yes, you've got to have faith in Jesus, but you've also got to dot, dot, dot. Whatever they say next, you want to be listening very carefully because there is every chance they are adding some requirement onto faith in Jesus that will actually undermine the very gospel of Jesus. All right, so here in Acts chapter 15, come back. Paul and Barnabas, so they've written the letter. Then they head down to Jerusalem for the great debate. And the big issue is in verse 5. Are the Gentiles required to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses? Is that what's required? Peter stands up uh, and he makes three points. The first point he makes is, look, remember Cornelius. Uh, God has shown Peter through Cornelius and he's Peter recounted it at the time to the rest of the church. Remember back in chapter 10 and 11? Verse 7, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles should hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. Remember Cornelius, God accepted him through faith in Jesus. And God demonstrated that by the gift of the Holy Spirit. Point two, both Jew and Gentile are acceptable to God through faith in Jesus, only through faith in Jesus. Verse nine, God did not discriminate between Jew and Gentile, but he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you test God by trying to put on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? See, we Jews haven't been able to keep the law. So why would we put that burden onto Gentiles now that Jesus has come to fulfill the law? And the point three, salvation is by grace. Verse 11, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. Keeping the law is not a requirement for entry into God's people. It is about grace. God's undeserved generosity shown through the work of Jesus on our behalf. Uh, and 
We want to we hold on to grace and not allow grace to be compromised in our lives, in our church. Um, it's something worth standing and fighting for. Paul and Barnabas then describe their mission uh, amongst the Galatian Christians. And so finally we come to the decision. <clears throat> and this is James, the brother of Jesus, who is now the lead pastor in Jerusalem. Uh, and James points out, Firstly, God's plan all along was to bring Gentiles into the people of God. He quotes Amos. He says, even back in Amos, even back in the Old Testament, it was clear that God's purpose was to create a people from the Gentiles as well as the Jews. Secondly, he says, we must not make it more difficult for the Gentiles than God does. Right? If God is welcoming the Gentiles by faith in Jesus... Who are we to put other barriers before the Gentiles and make it more difficult for them? Verse 19, It is my judgment, therefore, we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. You don't have to obey the law of Moses to be a Christian. But James does make four recommendations, and these have occupied a lot of my time this week. Um, so verse 20, James says, We should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. So four requirements. Now why does James, James come up with those four things? Is he coming up with a new law, right? Don't worry about the law of Moses, but here is the new law for Christians that they need to. So is he saying faith in Jesus plus, sorry, faith in Jesus plus these four requirements brings salvation? What do you reckon? No. No, all right, let's see what happens. No, 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 no. He's not creating a new law, a new set of burdens. Faith in Jesus alone saves us. Yeah, is that... Yes, thank you, Darren. So it's good that Darren's passionate about this, isn't it? And shame on you for not yelling out no. So no, uh, he's not saying that. That would run counter not only to this, the rest of this chapter, but to the whole rest of the New Testament. So why these four things? So that's what I've been wrestling with. Why, why, why out of all the things you could have advised Gentiles that they... Uh, encourage them with these four things. Um, here's my best understanding I can come up with, and it's based on two key ideas. The first idea is don't have anything to do with idolatry or sexual immorality. That belongs to your old life. Right? So, you know, the, the pagan life, the, the, the life of idolatry was very ingrained uh, in, ancient, in ancient societies around that, that area. Uh, and so eating feasts at the idol temples and worshipping the idol gods and sleeping with the idol prostitutes, uh, you know, drinking blood in ritual, you know, in ritual celeb- you know, idol feasts and all that sort of stuff. It was all part of that package deal. Uh, and so part of, what, part of what's going on here is that's the old life. Leave the old life behind and embrace your new identity as a child of God. And the second thing is, don't do anything that is going to cause your fellow Christians to stumble. Uh, And in particular, 
you want to make it easier to mix with Gentile Christians to show hospitality to one another. Let me tell you, this is what one of the guys in my group said this. If you, if you have a Jewish person over to dinner, don't grab a chicken, wring its neck, and then drain its blood and drink it. You know, that's not going to be very hospitable to your Jewish uh, brothers. Uh, and so you actually want to think, what, how can we open up good fellowship and deep bonds with each other Thinking about what we do and how we eat and how we show hospitality is part of that. Uh, And so that's part of the mix. The reason I've sort of come to that is because six years later, when Paul writes to the Corinthians, these same issues are in the air. And look at some of the commands that he raises with the Corinthians. He says, it's in your outlines. He says, flee from sexual immorality. Um, and that is, that is a long journey. Uh, those who have been caught up in a sexually immoral lifestyle, uh, it, 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 uh, it is hard to escape from. Uh, and so Paul is saying flee from sexual immorality. Now Matt's given us a very practical way to help you with that. We're not just saying here's a command that will make you feel guilty for the rest of your life. What is a practical way that we can help one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, to flee sexual immorality. Talking to Matt later would be a great stepping stone uh, of taking that command seriously. Uh, Paul says, flee from idolatry you know, and its associations. Don't, that's the world you were once part of, but now leave that behind. Uh, and the other thing he says is, uh, no one should seek their own good but the good of others, right? In your eating and your drinking and whatever you do in life, don't just consider your own rights and preferences. It's not just about you. Think about what is going to be helpful to others, uh, what is going to build your brothers and sisters up, not just what is a preference for you. Now, briefly, um, because I'm I'm going to tie things up in a moment, but briefly, there's an irony at the end of, well, at the start of chapter 16, and the irony is, it's a, it's a bitter irony. Paul encourages Timothy to be circumcised. And have a look at Timothy. He doesn't look convinced, does he? He's sort of like, really? <laughs> you serious? Um, now, this is strange. This is very strange. Because only a few months earlier, Paul had been fiercely opposing circumcision. Now he is persuading Timothy to be circumcised. What is going on here? And now the key word, what's the key word? Irony is a good word. The key word is must, right? In chapter 15, they were saying the Gentiles must be circumcised. Now, when people say Gentiles must be circumcised, then Paul will stand and fight and say, no, you must not be circumcised, right? Because it's, it's, it's elevated to an issue of salvation, You're saying, I'm not saved or I'm not acceptable to God without being circumcised. I'm saying, Jesus makes me acceptable before God. But here with Timothy, there's no compulsion. He wasn't circumcised to be saved. He was circumcised for the sake of the mission. What have you done for the sake of the mission? Uh, Well, Timothy... See, see, how did it... (laughs) Uh, Timothy was a a young Jewish fellow... Here he is with Paul going and preaching a gospel 
of grace apart from law keeping. Now, it doesn't look good if Timothy is one of the key advocates of this gospel and he hasn't gone through with you know, the snip himself. Right? It's sort of like, oh, easy believism. Yeah, it's all very well for you, Timothy. We've gone down that road and now you're saying it's not. Anyway, so better to get Timothy circumcised, as painful as that would have been, uh, and not compromise the mission. That was the, the, the thinking, as far as I can see. Now, I want to come back to where we began And we may have a minute or two for questions. So do we welcome everyone and on what basis? So here are the scenarios I posed at the start. This lady welcomes in. uh, Sorry, this lady walks in. Do we welcome her? Absolutely, absolutely. What does she have to do to become a Christian? Yeah, yeah, same as anyone. Turn away from your past life, turn to God, put your trust in the Lord Jesus and he will forgive everything. That is past, no matter what it is. So if her past life involved sexual immorality, God wants her to turn her back on that, to flee sexual immorality. Uh, and that might be a journey, you know, and that's where we want to hook her up with recovery, you, you know, mate, quite possibly down the track where you go, all right, we want to help her in that journey. What about her outfit? We we don't send her away and say, no, no, you need to get something more appropriate on. But over time, we would want to encourage her that fleeing sexual immorality means not conforming to the immoral dress codes of our society. Yeah, that's part of fleeing sexual immorality. It's actually being aware that we are in a society that is drenched in sexual immorality, so much so that we're often blind to it until you see the statistics on pornography and just the degradation that is created. All right. The other thing we'd want to encourage her is we'd want to help her see, look, many of, many of the blokes in our church really are struggling to flee sexual immorality and we want to be as helpful as we can to them. Uh, so even for their sake, uh, it's worth thinking about uh, how you dress. What about this guy? Um, now again, do we welcome him? On what condition? (laughs) No, no, no. What does he need to do to become a Christian? Exactly the same. Turn away from your past life. Turn to God. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus for his forgiveness. If his past life, I don't know all the details for this guy, but if his past life involved financial corruption, God wants him to turn his back on that, to actually recognize that that was sinful and dishonoring to God. Greed is idolatry, and God wants us to flee idolatry. And over time, we would encourage him that fleeing idolatry means that there might be people he needs to repay that he's ripped off. Um, And he might need to learn generosity rather than greed, because generosity is the opposite of greed. What about this family? Now, again, do we welcome them? Absolutely, yes. Um, what do they need to do to become Christians? Well, exactly the same as any one of us. Turn away from your past life, turn to God, put your trust in the Lord Jesus for forgiveness. If their past life involved Islam, then they have been taught that Jesus did not die for their sin. And so part of them becoming Christian would be recognising 
that Islam has taught them a false gospel, that Jesus did indeed die for their sins. But if this family come to Jesus, put their faith in him, and they want to keep wearing the scarves on their head, keep wearing scarves on no problem. You know, we've, we've got someone with a hat on his head here. You know, you can do what you want, right? That's fine. Uh, they're free to eat, keep eating halal food. We'd even make sure we had halal food served at morning tea um, after church to accommodate them, just like we accommodate allergies and gluten-free and all that sort of stuff. Although over time, we would want to relieve their conscience so they realise all food is clean. Uh, But that may take time, and that's okay. What about this guy? Well, we welcome this guy, but we keep a close eye on him. Um, (coughs) And I'll explain why in a moment. But what does he need to do to become a Christian? (laughs) no don't discriminate on that basis brother turn away from your past life turn to god put your trust in the lord jesus for your forgiveness but we recognize presumably he's a mormon he's got all the signs of being a mormon Uh, and so his church teaches that it is faith in jesus plus our good works that save us so he would need to recognize that the mormon church has taught him a false gospel Um, that faith in Jesus alone saves, not the good works we do. Now, the reason we keep our eye on this guy is because he's he's got all the signs of being a Mormon missionary. Uh, And if he came into our church dressed like that, then there's a pretty good chance he's not interested in openly, honestly debating the scriptures, which we love doing, there's a pretty good chance he's come to undermine the freedom that we enjoy in Christ by leading us away to a false gospel. Uh, And we don't want to lightly allow false teachers to undermine the security and confidence that we have in the Lord Jesus. And, And what this is, it's actually what we want to do in all of church life is help all of us to work out the implications of Jesus being our Saviour and Lord. And what does that look like in our day-to-day lives? And the patterns of our past life are so entrenched. And so recovery is a great place just to work all that through, to embrace forgiveness that I'm a child of God and that he, he wants me to live like a child of God. Uh, so turn, turn my back on the past life. So the Jerusalem Council realised God was embracing Gentiles... And so they said we shouldn't make it difficult uh, for Gentiles who are turning to God. We need to make sure we do the same. Let's embrace God's free grace in our own lives, extend it to our community without compromise, but with great compassion and love. Let, Let me pray. God, our Father, we want to thank you so much for the gospel of grace because it is our only hope that Jesus died in our place fulfilling the requirements of the law that we could not do ourselves, releasing us from a burden uh, that was overwhelming. And Father, we thank you that he died willingly, that he paid the price completely, so that as I put my trust in him, as we put our trust in him, we are completely accepted as your beloved children. And Father, we pray that you will help us to live like that, 
uh, to embrace this new lifestyle that you've brought us into. We pray that we will flee sexual immorality, that we'll flee idolatry, that we will not do anything that will put a stumbling block before one another, uh, that will hinder one another in our relationship with you. And Father, we pray the same for our community. We pray that we will continue to be a light to this community you've placed us in, that we'll show warm welcome, that we won't be quick to judge or condemn, that we'll bring the gospel of grace and that we'll help people walk forward uh, in their new life as your children. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.